Hey, thank you for listening. My name is Brett. I'm the food pastor here at Engage Church up here in Canada, and it's an honor to have you with us today. This is a message called Shattered by Jeremy Wolfram as we continue. Get a grip. How many married people here have ever in the middle of an argument uh, when your spouse is freaking out looked at them and said, like, just get a grip? It, do- it doesn't go well. Yeah, Cal's too afraid. It doesn't go well. Young people, when you get married, try it once. It'll only happen once, and uh, that'll be that. Uh, but we're going to continue on, and this morning I want to bring you a word out of the main text that we've been talking about. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 14. I'm going to read that, and then we'll pray. But let's go there. I once thought these things were valuable. Paul's talking about a whole bunch of stuff he's done in his life. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that in one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or I've already reached perfection. I just want to pause there. You know, Paul's talking about things like, I want to share in Christ's death, in his sufferings, and all these things. And some of us are like, I don't know if I do. (laughs) You know, and Paul's like, no, no, this is my heart. excuse me, this is what God did for me. This is where I want to get to. And he goes, I'm not saying that I've already reached perfection. How many hate when the preacher talks to you like they've done everything right and you need to be better? Paul like wasn't that kind of preacher. He's like, guys, listen, I'm telling you what I keep telling myself. But he says, but I do this. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, get a grip. And I'm going to pray that you wake up. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. Oh God, I thank you that we can have fun in church and we... We just know that you are gracious and loving and you want to speak to us. And God, you're not about <clears throat> telling us all the things that we should be doing better, but you're a God that moves with us and walks beside us. And you're interested in bringing us along in the grace and the relationship that you want to have with us. So God, I thank you this morning that uh, you were with us and you want to speak to us. And I thank you that last week I prayed and thank you that the Oilers were winning. And this week we just pray that they would find help. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I shouldn't have done it. I prayed, Thank you, Jesus, that the Oilers are winning last Sunday. And it's like this week, just gong show. Everything down the tubes. I remember years ago when my brother and I were probably 12 and 14. He's younger than me. And we would do just dumb things for fun. And uh, we lived on an acreage in Sturgeon County. And we just kind of would take out the snowmobile and we would tie a rope behind it and we would tie a sled to the rope or a snowboard or skis or whatever we could find at that time or what we hadn't broken. And we had this one little blue sled that only one of us could fit in because by the time you're 12 and 14 years old, 
Um, when you're using a sled that's for a five-year-old, like you don't really fit in it, but it slides on the snow. And you remember those sleds that had, I don't know why they had brakes, like they never worked, but they had those two handles that like you could kind of steer and brake. It was one of those kind of sleds. And I told my brother, we're going to build a ramp and we'll take turns going over the ramp because you could steer and you could hit the ramp when the snowmobile is pulling you. And so we'd build a ramp a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. By this time, we probably had the ramp like, you know, three feet high, something like this. It wasn't small. Um, and <clears throat> I told my brother, I just said, Phil, no matter what happens, hit that ramp and don't let go. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I won't let go. I'm like, are you sure? I like, I think you're kind of a chicken. I think you're going to let go. And this is what older brothers do to younger brothers. And it's like, no, I won't let go. And he'd get all worked up and upset. And he's like, I'm not going to let go of the sled. I'm like, okay, good. Well, it was all part of my plan because we go, and we had about 20 feet of rope behind the snowmobile. So we kind of lined up, and I saw him lined up for the, for the ramp, and I just pushed the throttle in as far as I could and just ripped. And I'm like, I'm not looking back until I hear screaming or I know he's over that jump so he hits this thing, goes flying, comes down, pieces of this blue sled everywhere in the field, like nowhere to be found, and I go back to him, I'm like, okay, I better see if he's okay, otherwise my mom's gonna get mad at me, I'm like, dude, are you okay, he's like, yeah, see, I told you I wouldn't let go, and he's got these stew, stupid little plastic brake handles in his hand still, but the rest of the sled is nowhere to be found, right, and he's like, I held on. I didn't let go. And, you know, sometimes I think in our lives, we come to this place where we're trying so desperately to hold on to Jesus, to hold on to our future, to hold on to so many things in life. But aren't there moments where you just like look up around you and you're still holding on and it's like you have these pieces of your life and your faith in your hand and the rest just kind of seems shattered and spread out everywhere. And you're like, God, what is going on? Like, I haven't let go, but like the pieces that I'm holding on to in my life do not look like what I thought it was going to look like. They do not look like how we started. Things have broken. Things have gone by the wayside. God, I know <clears throat> I'm tr trying to hang on. And sometimes in our Christianity, we're trying so desperately to hold on. And we think, if I just had a better grip, if I would have held things together, none of this stuff would have happened. But guess what? Life happens. And sometimes we're stuck holding on. And you haven't let go of Jesus. And you haven't let go of his plans and purpose. But when you're left with pieces in your hands, sometimes you're like, well, what's the point of hanging on to this? And I would like to believe that for every single one of us, most of us would like to take hold of our future. This is what we're talking about. How do we get a grip on the future that God has for us? I believe as individuals, we want to go after what God has for us. As a church, we want to go after what God has for us. But in order to do those things, we have to face moments where we feel like we can't hang on anymore. We face moments where we don't know what it looks like to take hold of what God's asking us to do. And even at times, we face moments where we know we have to let go of some things to grab a hold of our preferred future. And sometimes it just feels like we keep losing our grip on what we thought was going well in our faith again and again and again. And we get to these moments and these places where we're like, God, I'm trying to hold on to what you have for me, 
but I struggle in this area. I failed in this area. This relationship, I just can't seem to get a handle on it. And I know you have better, but I don't know what to do about it. And this is what we end up feeling like. But I want to encourage you this morning, hold on, because God is still moving, He's still working, and He hasn't let go of you. Have you ever heard of a term called old man strength? It's a real thing. Because my dad, much skinnier than me, the guy's like just slightly north of, or not north, south of 60. He's not north of 60 yet. He'll get mad at me if you heard that. He's just slightly south of 60, and he's a heavy-duty mechanic. And my sister was at church last Sunday in, in Stony Plain, and you know, it, it always amazed me that when she would pull up with her car to my dad's acreage to his shop, she could drop it off, leave, and come back, and tires would be rotated, and the brakes would be redone, and it would be fixed. I'd pull up and be like, oh, pull it in the garage, and I'll work on something else and just tell you what you need to do. And I'm like laying under a car, practically losing my salvation and swearing because I can't do it. Because like, seriously, the way they build some vehicles, like, okay, reach your arm up here, bend it this way, and then turn backwards and get the wrench on. And my dad's like, just take that bolt out. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, just take that bolt out. And I'm like, I can't take the bolt out. And one time recently, I uh, did something and I shorted a wire and I jumped and I smoked my head on the uh, frame underneath the car. That hurt. And, and you know, like, my dad gets in there. And he's like, okay, just let me do it. He gets in, reaches his hand up. Like 30 seconds later, comes out with the bolt, just calm, cool, collected. And I'm like, he's like, you just got to have more patience. And I'm like, no. I want to yell. I want to freak out right now. Things are not going well. This is ridiculous. Why don't you just fix my car? Well, you'll never learn if I fix your car. Oh, my goodness. Why don't you tell that to my sister, right? Like, and I'm like freaking out. And, And I'm like, sometimes we know this is where we need to be in our faith. And as we mature, sometimes we get to these points and places where we watch people that are older in their faith or they've been on their walk with God for a longer amount of time than we have, and they face things, and they're like, you know what? It's going to be okay. God's going to work it out. And, and yeah, I know this isn't nice. It isn't fair. It isn't good. And, and they're just like, they just keep moving. And, like, they're like this. And I'm like, like no, I don't want to just be patient and wait for it to work out. But there's a maturing that comes as we begin to understand that God is still over all of those things. And when it comes to getting a grip in our life, what I really, really wanted to start out by preaching with was, you know, let's talk about what it takes to move forward. What are the things we need to let go of so we can take hold of the future? What does this great future in Jesus look like? How do we reach our friends and neighbors? How do we become who Christ has called us to be? And in all of that, as I began to study and as I began to pray, I was really hit with the fact that sometimes when we're left holding those pieces of that sled, many of us, if I were to stand here today and tell you this is what God wants you to do, you would look at me and be like, with this, how? How am I supposed to get there from where what my life looks like right now? And and I began to hear God speak to me about some things that we need to look at that we need to stop and focus on from what Paul is telling us about in his life that are going to help us when it comes to moving forward into our future with Jesus. 
when it comes to getting a grip on our future, when it comes to laying hold of everything for what Christ laid hold of us, I believe sometimes we need to stop for a minute and what we, what we really need, what we really probably desire and what would really help us is a fresh grip on the grace of God and how it works in our lives. Before we do anything in our own strength and by our own merit, we come back to a place where we remember and in our hearts and in our minds, we get a fresh grip on the grace of Jesus and what he's done in our lives. Because if we move forward saying, well, I tithed and I went to church every Sunday and I did this and I did that in my relationships and I read these scriptures and I did all of these things, we will be in our humanness very tempted to believe that we worked out these measures of growth in our salvation on our own strength. And I'm not saying doing those things are bad, but they are not the be-all, end-all. We've never done it on our own. God gives us tools to help us, but it's actually the grace of God working through all of those things. Because I'm just telling you, when you show up to church every week, you are allowing space for the grace of God to hit your heart, your mind, your relationships, and He starts working in you. So it wasn't just going to church. It was you gave yourself to an environment where the grace of God could start speaking into your life and into your relationships and all those things. So not saying that doing things is wrong, but they are not, what, they are not the things that are going to get you to a place of becoming a great Christian or anything like that. It's getting back to the place where we understand the grace of God is always working and partnering with His Word and the things that He calls us to do so we can become who God's called us to be. And so today, very quickly, what I want to do is take a quick look and make three observations from what Paul said in his story in his letter to the Philippians about getting a grip on the grace of God and understanding it in our hearts and in our minds. You see, the grace of Jesus in Paul's life was very evident. He was a guy that hated Christians. He was a guy that killed Christians. And if there was ever anyone that wrote in the time of Jesus and in the New Testament, there was this guy named Saul who became Paul. If anyone understood what it meant to be gripped by the grace of God, it was him. And the first observation I'd like to make this morning that we would remember in our hearts and minds what God wants to do in our lives, we need to remember that grace gripped us first. Whenever we're talking about laying hold of what God has for us, doing what he's called us to do, it's always wise to go back to the reality that grace gripped us first. Have you ever found something that you didn't even think you needed, and then when you found it, you're like, how did I live without this? You know, it's like you, you watch a YouTube video, and you find a life hack, and you're like, how have I been cutting fruits and vegetables wrong for 30 years of my life? And how many hours have I wasted? And you're like, this is amazing, right? And we do things like that, and we find something that we didn't know we needed it until we actually had it, and then it's this thing we can't live without. Well, this was Paul with Jesus, and this should be each of us with Jesus. Paul was a guy that persecuted Christians. He was a guy that wasn't even looking for the grace of God in his life because in his mind, he had it all together. 
He was a Pharisee. He was a leader. He was looked up to in religious society. In terms of career, in terms of status in Jewish culture, Paul had arrived. He had made it. He was the next young star. This is what everyone was looking to for the next leader in their social, religious group. And Paul was there. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He wasn't looking for what Jesus could do in his life and who he was. And yet, grace got a grip on Paul, and he was never the same. Grace got a grip on Paul, and he was never the same. Because one day when Paul was traveling to a, another town to persecute Christians, he actually had Christ appear to him and speak to him about, why are you doing this to me? And he had this encounter with Jesus that took a hold of him. Paul didn't decide one day to set all his Christian killing and his religious ideas aside, and I'm just going to serve Jesus. He had an encounter with Jesus because grace went after Paul first, and he was able to experience it in a way that changed his life. And that's why Paul could write in Philippians 3 verse 12, he says, guys, not that I've already attained these things or I'm perfected, he said in another passage in the Bible, he said, "You guys, Christ came to save the chief of uh, he came to save sinners, of which I am chief." He had a, a look on his life. He's like, "Guys, if you want to talk about who's done things against God and was really a sinner, like guys, I'm a pretty good candidate. I started to try and wipe out what Jesus was doing. This is how far from God I was." And he says, "Yet Christ saved me. Grace got a hold of me." Grace came and took a hold of my life. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 4.10, this is real love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And no matter where you're at in life this morning, whether you even understand what it is to walk and have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're not even looking for that this morning. But can I tell you, grace is at work in your life and God wants to bring you to a place of wholeness and fullness because of who He is, not because of anything that you do because He loves you. And because grace will always reach out to get a grip on you first. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says this, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. This is what grace does. And when we talk about, well, I need to get a grip on my future. I need to get a hold of my emotions and my struggles and my sins. No, no, you need to get a hold in your heart of the fact that grace gripped you before you even did anything to deserve it. And grace will never stop trying to keep a hold of you. Grace won't let you go. God doesn't let go of you just because you're struggling. God comes to you again and again and says, let my grace come over you. Let my grace speak into your situation because it's by my grace that you will move forward into your future and the things that I've called you to. See, grace has gripped each of us for a purpose as we follow Jesus. We have to realize that grace gripped us first, but because grace took a hold of us, we can follow Jesus how? One step at a time. We don't have to figure it all out, but we can follow Him one step at a time because we can then say, okay, if grace got a hold of me, I can take hold of that which grace took hold of me for. Philippians 3 verse 12 in the voice translation says this, I'm not there yet, nor have I become perfect, but I'm charging on to gain 
anything and everything the anointed one Jesus has in store for me. And nothing will stand in my way because he has grabbed me and he won't let me go. You can move forward into your future knowing that you might struggle, you might fail, you might fall at times, but when you understand I'm doing this and I'm living out of the grace of God, I know that Jesus has taken a hold of me and he's not letting go, so I'm going to keep getting back up. I'm going to keep moving forward. Why? Not because I can move into my future on my own strength, but because grace got a hold of me first. That's a pretty big observation, Paul. But the second thing that we can find in Paul's story is we begin to understand that grace not only grabbed us first, but grace gives us a different view of our so-called successes and failures or our failures and accomplishments. If we go a little bit earlier in the chapter, Philippians 3 to verse 7, 3, 3 to 7 says this, For we worship... By the Spirit of God are ones who are truly circumcised. Yeah, Paul, ta- Paul had to talk about circumcision a lot in church. I'm glad we don't have to today. Um, just awkward sermons, right? But, you know, there, there were people who are saying, look, you can come receive the grace of Jesus, but you got to get circumcised first. Seriously? Like, I don't even know what the equivalent of that is today, and I don't want to try in my mind, but it's like, Paul's like, guys, let's focus back on the grace of God and bringing people to himself, and then Jesus will start dealing with the things they need to deal with in their lives, because grace sets people free. So he says, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us, and we put no confidence, no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Paul's like, listen, guys... It's not about what you've done, but guess what? If you want to talk about what someone's done and how they've accomplished things, let's have that conversation. Because on paper, I'm way better than you. Like, this is kind of like what, this is what he's saying. He's like, if we want to go on the world's system of paper and accomplishments, he's like, I've I've done it all. I have it all in line. You won't beat me in this. He says, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. There it is again. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So it's like I come from the right place, from the right family. I was circumcised. I, uh, I, I'm a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I'm a member of the Pharisees, so the top of the religious sect who demanded the strictest obedience. So he goes, I know how to have self-control. I know how to look good in front of people. I know how to put on an image and a facade that make people see that I have it all together. And he goes, and I was so zealous that I even persecuted the church. He says, I was so about my religion and what I said I believed in, I was willing to kill for it. And as for righteousness, he says, I obeyed the law without fault. He's like, literally everything they asked me to do, I can honestly say in my heart, I did, as to best of my knowledge, all of them. I was not at fault in any of those areas from the time I was a kid. And he goes, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Isn't that strange how grace gives us a different view on our accomplishments? Like, no matter what we've done in business, no matter what we've done in relationships, how we've built a family, how we've built a successful marriage, how we've built all of these things. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't try. Like, I mean, come on. 
Man, try in your marriage. Try and be a good leader in your family. Try and be a good leader in business. But guess what? It's not all you. It's the grace of God and His gifting in you that actually brings you to that place. Because there's sometimes I could say, I have a good marriage, and why doesn't someone else have a good marriage? But guess what? It's by the grace of God that sometimes we haven't had to face things that other people have faced or things that have happened. We, we don't know the situations all the time. So it's best that we get to a point and a place in life where we understand that grace is going to give us a different view on our accomplishments, but if it gives us a different view on our accomplishments, it can also give us a different view on our failures and our shortcomings. Because it's easy for us to all play humble and say, when people are like, oh, you're so good at that, and man, you did such a great job there, and we're like, oh, it, it was nothing, and it's not really a big deal. It's like, no, it is a big deal. Like, you just, just thank people. Like, well, God gave me gifts, and I'm doing my best. Thank you. It's easy to downplay accomplishments, but in our own hearts, it's not that easy to downplay our failures, our insecurities, our struggles, our sin. Because even when other people are like, brother, sister, Jesus has freed you from that. Don't live under that uh, condemnation. Don't live under that oppression. Sometimes we're like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And we go home and we all go to the door. And I'm like, man, I haven't got this together. I didn't do this. I can't believe I lived that way at this point in my life. I can't believe that grace actually still wants to move me forward in life. I can't believe what they're saying, that Jesus would move me forward in life because if they knew who I am and what I've done. But guess what? When we start to understand the grace of God in our life and how Jesus is inclusive and how Jesus is forgiving and he doesn't leave us the same but grace will move us forward when we start looking at our lives and saying I'm not counting on being a good person to move forward I'm not counting on righting all my wrongs to move forward I'm counting on the grace of Jesus we begin to see our future differently because grace gives us a different view of our walk with God of our failures and of our accomplishments in Philippians 3, verse 9, in the voice it says, when, I'm count, when it counts, I want to be found belonging to Him, not clinging to my own righteousness based on law, but relying on the faithfulness of the Anointed One. Do you know how you move past your failures and your sins and your struggles? You start saying, I'm not doing this based on law, because what's wrong is wrong and sin is sin, but I'm counting on the faithfulness of Jesus and His grace in my life. And that's how I move forward. And when you were successful and you were at the top of your game and you realize that that could be gone tomorrow, you're like, guess what? I'm not counting on all this stuff I've done in my life. I'm counting on the faithfulness of Jesus and the grace of God at work in my life. So we get to observe that if we want to get a grip on our future and lay hold of everything that God has for us because he took hold of us first. We observe that grace grabbed a hold of us first. Grace gives us a different perspective on our lives in so-called our failures or our accomplishment. But we also can observe this third and final thing this morning is that grace will actually give us an appetite for more grace in our lives and in the lives of others. The funny thing about grace is when it starts to work in your heart and in your mind and in your life, grace should beget more grace. Because you, you can ask, well, Pastor, how much grace is too much grace? 
Because we've done this in churches. Well, how much grace is too much grace to show people, to show the community, to show those around us that are so far from God? Well, I mean, all throughout the Bible, Jesus kept saying like, well, grace upon grace upon grace. Like Peter asked one time, he's like, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? He's like, seven times? And he's like, no, 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 like 70 times seven. He's like, 490 something. I'm bad at math, Jesus. I'm a fisherman. He's like, Peter, the point is this, like, Grace upon grace upon grace. Why? Because my grace is bigger than all of your stuff. My grace is bigger than what you think is going to hold you back. And when we begin to understand the grace of God in our lives, we should want to see it beget more grace in our own lives and also in the lives of others. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 in the New King James Version. I've got to look for it up here. Okay. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I might lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I'm pressing on because grace leads me to more grace. I don't press on because of perfection in my life. I press on because there is more grace to be obtained in Jesus. There is more future to be had in Jesus for my life, for your life, for engaged church in Spruce Grove, for engaged church in Stony Plain, in Edmonton, in Sherwood Park, in Fort Saskatchewan. Pastor Brett's list is probably way bigger than mine, but you know, grace should beget more grace and we don't press on because of anything we have done, but because we begin to see and observe that there is more grace to be found for our lives, for our church, for our communities, for people that are far from God when we understand the heart of grace. There's more grace to be found. And Matthew Henry said this, when, it looks at, when he was looking at Paul's passage on Philippians chapter 3 and what Paul's view of this grace and his works and his effort and all of this stuff, Matthew Henry said this, he says, the best men in the world will readily own the imperfection that they have in the present state. There is something about a leader or a person that is willing to be transparent and say, guys, guess what? I don't have it all together But if you move forward with me, we'll get there because of this. It works even in the the secular world. It works in business and other things. People will follow clarity and transparency over someone who tries to hide and cover and make it look like they know what they're doing time and time again. Because the ones that try to put on a facade and they try to fake everything's okay, that breaks, it cracks, it shows through at some point. But I have seen over the course of my short life many leaders that were willing to say, look, I made a mistake, that was the wrong thing to do, but we're going to move forward this way because we believe it's the right thing. And people follow that. And when it comes to our walk with Jesus, we need to start being the people that say to our friends and our neighbors and people around us, guys, guess what? I'm not perfect. I haven't sorted out all my sin issues. I haven't sorted out all my relational struggles. I don't know the answers in all of this. But guess what? The grace of God has moved me from here to there, and it's going to keep moving me forward. You know, when we start looking at people, Bob Goff always says this. He says, don't tell people how far they have to go. Tell them to turn around and see how far they've already come because when we start showing people because of the grace of God look how far you've moved along look how far you've come when they see the grace of God moving in their life in their past faith in their heart says well then grace can move me forward grace begets more grace 
And so Matthew Henry says this, you know, the best leaders in the world will readily own their imperfection in the present state. But yet Paul continued to say as he wrote and he pressed forward, Matthew Henry saying this, Paul said, I will follow after, I will pursue with vigor as one following after the game. I endeavor to get more grace and do more good and never think that I've done enough. And then it hits your heart and it's like, but... I thought it wasn't about doing. And Paul's saying, guys, I can't do enough for Jesus when I understand that grace brought me to where I am and there's more grace and more grace and more grace. So why wouldn't I keep doing? Because I'm not doing it for me anymore. I'm not doing it because I think it's a good idea. I'm doing it because grace lets me move forward in the strength and in the power of Jesus. As we close this morning, I just want to leave you with this. There is more grace and there is more strength and there are more things to lay hold of in your future, in my future. It engages future when we understand that grace gripped us first. That grace can change our view of our failures, of our accomplishments, and that grace is going to beget more grace. I think one thing that people have never understood in churches, well, some people understand it. You can't say never, but people have a hard time understanding that, well, that's great that I got saved and I experienced the grace of Jesus and go to church, but what does that change? It changes everything. The grace of God in your life opens up a whole new realm of friends, neighbors, family, people that can experience the grace of God. The grace of God in your life is going to beget more grace where you live and where you function and where you move day in and day out. And they're like, well, the church is growing. It's so amazing. Yeah, because the grace of God on your life and your life and your life is becoming evident to people. And Jesus is drawing them not through my preaching as much as I'd like to think that's the case, but it's not me. I'm not that good. Neither is Pastor Brett, but don't tell him I said that. I'm just kidding. People come because they see the grace of God at work in your life. In my life. Not when I stand up here, but when I'm at home with my family, when I go to Starbucks, when I do what I do in day-to-day life, that's when people see the grace of God. That's also when they see that you're not perfect at times. So we have to readily say, not that I've already obtained, but I'm pressing on in Jesus, okay? And we can come to this place where we realize there's more grace, there's more strength, there's more to lay hold of in your life. There is more for you in your future than you think there is because of the grace of God in your life. So why don't we stand this morning, and I want to close with this scripture. Because this is what I believe some people are really struggling with. You're still in that place where you're saying, this is a great reminder this morning of the grace of God in my life. But I'm still feeling like I'm holding those handles of that sled. And I want to believe all of this about the grace of God, but everything seems it's so spread out. I believe this is the word of God for you this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. Because of the things that we've heard this morning because of what things we've learned about grace grabbing a hold of us grace changing our perspective grace begetting more grace I believe that this is what God wants to speak to you Hebrews 12 verse 12 to 14 says so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees 
Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but they will become strong. You might be saying, Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to hold on any longer. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to lead people because when, when the pastor talks about the grace of God in your life is actually leading people to Jesus, you might feel in your heart of hearts, well, I'm not a very good leader and I don't know how to lead them to Jesus. Guess what? Take a new grip with your tired hands, strengthen your knees, and mark out a straight path for your feet. It doesn't say plan your whole future, write a five-year, 10-year, 20-year plan. It says mark a straight path for your feet. And guess that what it ties into? It just says get up and keep moving. Get up and follow Jesus one more step, one more day, one more week. And when we start to do this, we are going to experience a fresh strength and a fresh grace of God in our lives. I so believe this with all my heart. That as we do this and we press forward to take a hold of Jesus, it says that those who follow won't stumble and fall because we're simply following Jesus one step at a time. And they know that's the direction that they need to go. Grace upon grace upon grace. We don't do this because we have the strength on our own, but because we live with a faith in our hearts that grace has gripped us first. Thanks for listening. If you're at the gym, you're doing a great job. If you're out for a run, keep pushing. If you're in the middle of traffic, don't hurt anybody. Uh, Isn't it amazing to know that grace has gripped us first? If you want to keep up with us online, check in with us at engagechurch.ca or on social media at engage.church. we got a location in Spruce Grove, Canada, location in Stony Plain, services at 10, 11, and 12. We can't wait to see you live and in person. Have a great week, everybody.